Amen. Well, again, good morning and welcome to the Life the Campus of Christ Community. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to, to be with you uh, this morning. Thanks for making it out on a, on a snowy day here. Well, what, what do you think are the most shocking words in the Bible? If you were to pin it down, like the hardest to hear, uh, the hardest to believe, particularly maybe in a, in a culture like ours, or maybe just, just any culture in general, like what do you think are the most shocking words? Would it be something about sin or hell or, you know, maybe money or sex? Like we kind of tend to go in those directions. I actually, I, I think it might be our scripture for this morning. Sounds fun, right? Um, you're excited to know where this is going. Um, I kind of, I kind of do, even though the words we're going to look at, like for, they're familiar to probably many of us, at least some of us. Uh, they're words that for some of us, we just, we take for granted without even really thinking about that much. Um, and some of you might even be surprised that we're going to take our entire morning to talk about just these 10 words. That's it. 10 words. One verse, ten words, seven in the Hebrew. That's it. But you, you see, it is upon these ten words that everything rests. And, and, and if, you, if you believe them, and I realize it might not be where you're at, but if, if these words are true, I mean, it changes everything. Our, our purpose, our authority, our hope, our, our love, our world, everything, all of it rests on just these 10 words. And so why don't you stand, well, you just sat, but stand with me for the reading of God's word. Let's do that anyway. I'm going to read our text. It's going to take about three seconds. I don't want to do that anyway. So our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter one, verse one. Um, it's a big, page one. So if you can't find it, it's page one. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give one to you. Uh, they're on, the, on their way out on the, the doors. We'd love to do that. We base everything we do uh, on this book. And so we'd love to, for you to have one as well. But let me read this. This is how our, our book opens, um, how our Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's short enough. Let me read it again. Okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, one more time, but this time you're going to help me, okay? So I'm, I'm going to say in the beginning, and you're going to say God, and then I'll finish it. You got that? Super hard, okay? In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. And I know some of you are like, really, those are, those are the shocking words? Like, that's just some ancient, ancient stuff about the beginning of the universe, how everything began, and how everything, I mean everything, everything, everything begins with God. I mean, listen, for all, for all of us, regardless of what you believe, like you, you have a starting point. Even in your minds, like you, you have a place where you begin to build foundations for who you are and what you do and meaning that you construct and how you live your life. Like, all of us have a starting point. And if it's, if it's chaos and chance, like, that affects your meaning and purpose or, or lack thereof. And, like, you live by faith in those things. If your starting point is you, 
which if we're honest, that's probably where most of us began, right? We're the center of our own universe. If your starting point is you, uh, then you have to figure out your own morality and your own meaning and good luck because it's all up to you, right? Uh, And you have to put faith in those things, right? Whatever they happen to be for you. Like where you start matters. Our family, we love road trips. Um, And when we're planning, like the starting point is every bit as important as the destination, right? It determines the entire route, doesn't it? Like every, every step, it even sometimes affects where we want to end up, right? Based on where we begin. And where you begin determines everything. So what if, hang with me, what if everything begins with God? And that's really what we're going to see as we study this book, Genesis And this verse this morning is that everything begins with God, and that changes everything. And so today we're we're beginning a a new series together. We're going to walk through the entire book of Genesis. It's going to take us about six months. There's 50 chapters here. We're not going to quite cover everything in six months. It's a lot of of material, but we're going to spend six months. And so uh, we're going to talk about, you know, the stories of Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and like all of that. It's going to be like in the summer or fall by the time we get there. Um, But that's where we're going to spend the next six months or so. And, And Genesis, that word literally just means beginning. It's the beginning of reality, the beginning of life, the beginning of faith, and everything begins with God. And today we're going to spend our time on just those 10 words, in the beginning, God. There we go. Created the heavens and the earth. So let's let's dive in the text. We're going to to walk through these 10 words. What do they mean? How can we understand them? And then we're we're going to unpack three sort of massive implications if these things are true. So that's kind of a roadmap. Before we do that, uh, let, me, let me pray for us and we'll jump in uh, together. Father, we need your help. God, even though our text is small, uh, the implications are unending um, in my life and in the lives of those here. And, and we're so far removed from this culture, so far removed from when these events actually took place. And so God, we need your help. By your spirit, would you work? Um, would you proclaim your word into our hearts to change our Monday lives? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so what does that even mean? In the beginning, God. Let's, pack, let's unpack these, these, these phrases, okay? So in the beginning, God. That's how, that's how it begins. Uh, well, first, we've got to kind of establish, like, who's writing? Uh, who's he writing to and why, right? Oftentimes, I think when we come to this book, we begin with ourselves. That's, that's not the most helpful, right? These were written by real people at a real place to, in real circumstances. And so what's going on here? And, and so Genesis, you have to understand, like Genesis is the first of a five-volume set called the Pentateuch. It's written by Moses, and most of these early stories would have been passed down orally for centuries, right? And then Moses finally writes them down. But Why? Well, he's writing them down for the Israelites as they enter the promised land. Like everything in these five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they're all about Israel and the promised land. All of it is centers right there. And so he's he's writing these things down. This is really important, okay? Not to answer our questions, but to prepare God's people as they leave Egypt and enter Canaan He's preparing them. He's trying to answer the question, who is this God who's just part of the Red Sea? 
How is he different from the gods we're leaving behind in Egypt? How is he different from our Canaanite neighbors when we get there? Like, and what does God expect of them as they enter into this land? I mean, everything, again, everything in the Pentateuch is written to this end. It's all about this sort of entrance into the land. That's, that's who is reading these words for the very first time. And so as we walk through these words, we have to look first at, like, what is the Hebrew text trying to communicate? Like, what's going on there? What are the original people hearing? What do they need to hear in that time? Right, that's, that's where we have to begin, not with our questions or opinions or cultural imperialism uh, or, you know, scientific assumptions, right? All, we have to begin first with the text. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? Okay? There's implications for all those things, but we have to start, we have to start with the, what the text says. And so it begins with, in the beginning, which... Uh, literally just means at the time of the beginning. It's a period of time. It is not necessarily a precise moment, that language there. So, but it's in the, in the period known as the beginning, God. And a God who is presumably outside of time, right? He sets the motion, sets the universe into motion. And, and this is really important. It's going to feel granular because we're going to get into the, like, the Hebrew actually. But like, the word that Moses uses there for God is the word Elohim which is like the generic word for God. Um, and so, like there were lots of Elohim uh, in, in this culture, right? And, and so there were the, the Egyptian Elohims, which are just leaving behind, abandoning. There are the Canaanite Elohim uh, that, you know, they're gonna enter into this land and be confronted by in that, in that culture. I mean, there, there are gods for this and for that. Like, there's no shortage in the, the ancient world of, of Elohim. And the author here is being intentionally vague kind of almost like raising this question right out, right out of the gate. In the beginning, Elohim. Well, which Elohim? Who? It's the generic, the generic word for God, except for the next word. This Elohim is different. Like this, this Elohim has done something that clearly sets him apart. Something that clearly shows that he's different from the gods of Egypt and of Canaan. Well, those gods are small gods, little gods. This Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And, and so Israel, as you enter into this land, your God is the God. He's not, he's not like them that you came from. He's not like those that you're going to. He is the capital G God, the one God, the true God, over which all lesser gods, if there is such a thing, all those gods are subject to this one, to your God, Israel, as you enter into the land. In fact, in chapter two then, it'll be a while before we get to chapter two, but when we get there, um, we're going to learn that this God has a name. This Elohim has a name. And it's not Ra or Baal, Baal. It's not Allah or Krishna or Nathan, like this God has a name and it's Yahweh. Like it's all building in that direction. That's, that's what Moses is, is trying to do. This Elohim is different from all, from all the others. He created the heavens and the earth, which is just a poetic way of saying heavens and earth. Like it just means everything. Like everything that is began with him. Like that this, this God, this Elohim, Israel, your God, Christian, your God, spoke the world into existence, created all of it out of nothing. In fact, in 
The Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan sings the universe into existence. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It just sort of comes out of him, and here we all are. That everything that exists outside of God himself is the spoken word of this God. That's what Moses is trying to communicate. Now we're going to talk about the implications of this, particularly for them and then also for, for us. But before we do that, I'm going to take just a quick little rabbit trail here. because, And we'll talk more about this next week, but I wanted to at least, at least address, because some of, some of us are thinking like, you know, we, like we ask questions, you and I, of Genesis 1 that Moses frankly just isn't interested in. Like he's interested in saying which God did this, not when did it happen and how, right? Like that's not, that's not his primary objective. And so when you and I read this, like our primary question, like for me, when I read Genesis, I was like, well, when did it happen? Was it 10,000 years ago or is it 14 billion years ago? Or maybe somewhere, you know, in the middle, right? Moses is not trying to answer that question. And I want, I want to be careful here and sensitive to those of us who come from this from a variety of angles within this room, but the reality is too many Christians have made this a hill to die on. I mean, we, we have this conversation as a family periodically. You know, if we're at a museum or, you know, at a national park or just, you know, reading along in our kids' textbooks, right? The, like, well, how does this sync with that, right? How do we, how do, we do that? And I'll, I'll tell you what I tell my kids. You can take it or leave it, but I, I, you can ask them. I do say this. I've said this often to them. Like, kids, there are plenty of teachers, scientists, people who will tell you that they know how and when the world began. Um, but they weren't there. Um, and they weren't there, right? And, and, but they're doing their best. They're doing their best, right? As we all are. But I also tell them this is where some of you might get a little squirrely. Um, I also say, and there are actually plenty of Christians who will tell you they know exactly how and when the world began, but you know what? They actually weren't there either. They're doing their best, as we all are, but the reality is what we do know is that God made everything out of nothing. Our God, the true God, made it all, and he made it good. We'll get there in a couple weeks, right? And so, so kids, students, many of you like, who hear this, like, do not let this question be a hurdle to your faith of how do we sync these things up. I mean, there are, there are lots of hurdles to following Jesus, believe me, okay? But this should not be one of them, in my opinion. I mean, I, and I can tell you even personally, like, like, I almost lost my faith over all this. I love nature and science, right? And the continual agonizing, like, how do I, how do I make sense of all of this? How do we, how do, we do that well? I wrestled with a lot of doubt until someone finally taught me that Genesis isn't trying to answer those questions. And yes, there are implications from this book on science. And without a doubt, I'm gonna, I'm gonna side here every time, right? This, this book is, is primacy and authority in my life. But what I hadn't realized when I was younger is that there are plenty of biblical scholars who love this book, who take it every bit as seriously as I do or anybody in this room, who interpret these things literally, actually, historically, but who also believe that we've created hurdles between faith and science that are just unnecessary to the text. Again, we'll talk more about this next week, okay? Deep breath. If you hate me, let's talk. 
That's okay. We can, we can disagree about these things, okay? Let's talk. If, you, uh, if you're taking a sigh of relief, like finally, like okay, maybe I can make sense of my faith with these things, um, let's talk. I'd love, I'd love to walk through that with you. Uh, and regardless of the spectrum that you're on here, let me, let me mention two really helpful resources. Uh, one is by uh, Walton, actually a former professor of my wife. Uh, he wrote a book called um, The Lost World of Genesis 1, uh, really helpful, as well as uh, Genesis Unbound uh, by a guy named Salahammer. Super helpful in just trying to understand what, it, what is actually happening in these texts. Not starting with science, right? But starting with what is the Hebrew actually saying? To those people? What would they have heard? What would they have been listening to? What is Moses trying to communicate uh, and beginning there? We're also, uh, during these first several weeks of Genesis, we're going to be doing Facebook Live videos um, each week uh, as we go through this because there's lots of questions that we're not going to be able to answer on Sunday morning. So you can tune in there, uh, check our Facebook page uh, for those as well. All right, uh, as Christians, there should be hills to die on, right? There should be. There should be hills that we're ready to die on people. This just isn't one of them. The hill for Moses is which Elohim did this. That's, that's what he is staking everything on in this moment. Who did this? And it's Yahweh. So what's, what's the main idea of verse one? In the beginning, God created, our God created the heavens and the earth. And everything begins with him. And so that changes everything. Now, there are three things in particular, three, three massive implications that I want to unpack here for us, um, both for them and for us as we understand that, that one verse. If it's true, if everything begins with God, it means, first of all, that we live in a world that is haunted with meaning. We live in a world that is haunted with meaning. I picked that word on purpose because um, I think that's probably the best description of how mo- many of us feel living in the 21st century. We're haunted by it. Like we don't quite believe in it. We live, we live it, but it's, it's more, we're haunted by it. We're haunted by the supernatural, by beauty, by love, by purpose. I mean, you see, you see back then, Moses is, dress, is addressing all these other Elohim, right? That's not, that's not so much our problem. We don't have all these other gods that we're sort of choosing from. It's less about that. For us, it's that we, we don't really have much of, it, much of an Elohim at all, right? I mean, if we're honest. I mean, even if, you're, even if you're a Christian, like most of us forget about God most of the time. We live, we live our lives as practical atheists. Most, most of us, right? Don't we? Most of the time. And In fact, philosopher uh, Charles Taylor, he's written a lot about this fascinating research uh, that essentially we live today for the first time in human history ever, um, in what he refers to as a closed universe. That, that essentially there is a ceiling on our world now that we've constructed that keeps the divine out. Um, that like, we're not interested, like our starting point for any conversation is first with us, right? And that's, that's where we begin. It's anything, anything but God. We keep the divine sort of at bay. And so he calls it this, this closed universe. And so, so, for example, most of us, you know, if we're honest, we live as if this is it. 
That's how we live our lives. This, we got one chance, right? Whether, whether you're a Christian or not, we, we live as if we get to make, make our own rules. We, we take maybe some advice occasionally, right? But we, at the end of the day, we want to make our own, our own rules. We, we find our own meaning. We decide what's valuable and good for our lives. We only trust what we can see. I mean, even if you believe in God, you don't expect that much of him, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the idea of Charles Taylor's thinking, that even for Christians, many of us begin begin thinking about this world in a place that is absent from God. But according to Genesis 1, that's not where we live. And instead, according to Genesis 1, meaning is everywhere on planet Earth, and it haunts us all the time. Like, we may have constructed this, this ceiling that kind of keeps the divine out, but there are cracks everywhere in that ceiling. And Genesis 1 tells us why. It helps us understand why there are moments in which we feel like there's just got to be more. Again, whether you're a Christian or not, like, we, like, like purpose lives within us. Like, we know that something counts, right? We all, we all live as if our lives matter, don't we? Whether you're a Christian or not, right? We, we live as if our choices count, the things that we do, that it's better than I'm a, a good person, whatever we define that as, than a bad, like, like we, we live that way. But the reality is, if we are just a speck of dust floating around on a speck of a planet, and who knows how many universes, products of chaos and chance here for the equivalent of what, a second, maybe? Like if that, if that is true, like you know, right, meaning is a joke. Like nothing counts for anything. It's just like, we're just dust floating. And yet, We still can't quite live like we're dust. None of us can. Because we're haunted with meaning, with purpose. And we just can't shake it. And our culture knows this. Right? You don't have to listen to a pastor to, to know that we know that something counts for something. Like, like for example, the, the band Death Cab for Cutie have a song that goes, I want so badly to believe that there is truth, that love is real. Or, or author Julian Barnes, who says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. It's haunted, right? Or, or one, of my, one of my favorites, John Krakauer. I love this guy. Um, in his book, Under the Banner of Heaven, which is largely about extreme Mormonism, which is fairly fascinating in and of itself. Um, but it's really, it's really a book about religious faith as a whole, and frankly, his kind of critique of it as, a, as an outsider. But listen, listen how he ends his book. I mean, I almost, I almost fell out of my chair when I read this. It's kind of a long quote. It gets pretty dense in the middle, but hang with me. I think it's worth it, okay? Listen to what he says. He said, I don't know what God is or what God had in mind when the universe was set in motion. In fact, I don't even know if God even exists, although I confess that I sometimes find myself praying in times of great fear or despair or astonishment at a display of unexpected beauty. In the absence of conviction, I've come to terms with the fact that uncertainty is an inescapable corollary of life, an abundance of mystery, simply part of the bargain, which doesn't strike me as something to lament. Accepting the essential inscrutability of existence, in any case, is surely preferable to its opposite, capitulating to the tyranny of intransigent belief. Okay, come back if you lost it. Come back. I thought about skipping that, but that's good, that's good stuff right there. Um, let's, let's see how he ends then. He says, and if I remain in the dark about our purpose here and the meaning of eternity, I have nevertheless arrived at an understanding of a few modest truths. 
Most of us fear death. Most of us yearn to comprehend how we got here and why, which is to say most of us ache to know the love of our creator. And we will no doubt feel that ache, most of us, for as long as we happen to be alive. Dude is haunted, right? I mean, in, in my opinion, like this is, this is one of the greatest strengths of the Christian worldview, like this, this constant haunting that we feel. I, I, think, it's, I think it's one of the, the most powerful arguments today for faith left in our culture because every one of us is haunted with meaning. We pushed it aside, but we just can't, we can't shake it. We have no explanation for it, but we live it out every day. And like Krakauer, we don't believe in God, but we sure hope he loves us. And we ache for it. And the reality is, if God made this world, when he made it, he put glory everywhere. This is, this is how the bi- biblical authors understood the universe, right? This is, this is how Moses would have understood reality. That everything, because of those words, in the beginning God, everything is infused with the glory and presence of God. And we, we may have discarded that in our modern day, built up this ceiling above us, and yet we long for it, and we are haunted by it, and only, only Genesis 1 explains why, why we have it. And we experience this meaning in love, right, and sex, and laughter, and the face of a child, like, let this world haunt you. We, we experience it in creation, right? In nature, like go out to the woods, climb a mountain, watch, it, watch the sunset on a beach or on Tuesday, right? In fact, I've got, a, I've got a blog coming out soon on why creation is so good for our souls. Beauty, goodness, love. Our world is haunted with meaning. Run to it. Embrace it. Find God in it. Everything begins with him, and that changes everything. Second, second massive implication here. This, this is more, even more directly what Moses is getting at. Like, if this is true, again, you got to hear this from Moses' voice, speaking to the people of Israel as they enter the promised land. Like, if this is true, we live in a world under this God's authority. Nobody else's. No, no other God or competing narrative around us. Like, if God did this, he's in charge, right? We live in a world under, under God's authority, not the Canaanite or Egyptian gods, Yahweh. And we, we, sort, of, we sort of laugh at them, don't we? Oh, they used to worship trees and the sun and, you know, stupid primitive people, right? We, we do that, but at least, at least there's some transcendence in those things. For you and I, our starting point is ourselves, right? It's typically where we begin. We worship ourselves. That's our starting point. In the beginning, me. Everything begins with this guy. Huh? It's hideous. Like, why would I want to begin there? And yet, like, that's, that's what we do, isn't it? And again, whether you're, whether you're a Christian or not, most often our starting point is ourselves. You might think God is at your center until he says something you don't like, Right? Until he redefines your sexuality, tells you what to do with your money, until he declares that your view of the unborn or of immigrants or of race should come from him and not your political party, 
Like God is great until he gets up into my business, right? But if everything begins with God, everything is his business. I mean, like think about that. Like nothing is off limits. If he, like you've, you've never seen or experienced a single thing ever that didn't have its beginnings with God, that he didn't first make, Right? I mean, if that's, if that's true, like if he is the author of life, all of it, like there's nothing he can't expect from you. There's nothing he can't demand from you. Like all this is his, your body, your home, your time, your allegiance, your hopes and dreams, like what you want to get out of life. It's all already his. And yet how often I come to God as if it's a choose your own adventure. Hmm, I like that. I'll take that, right? But not, that's so outdated. I mean, ugh, right? I mean, we, we do that. We pick and choose. We, we make a God out of our own image, like as if he didn't make everything. And this, this is what, what God is, is getting at to his people. Like he's, he, he's prepping them to, to be able to say like, hey, hey, Israel, at times, you're gonna wanna go back to those Egyptian gods because they're gonna look better than I do. And there, there are going to be times when you're in Canaan and you're going to, you're going to look around and while wow, they have all these other gods and maybe there's a drought and they have a god that actually specializes in rain, right? His name is Baal. Like you're going to want to go to that because you're going to want to fix the drought. But if this is true, Israel, don't! In the beginning, I made everything. It's all mine. You're mine. Everything you want out of life is mine. All you have left is to respond to me. What are you going to do? I mean, only one Elohim did all this. Which means you cannot pick your own God. You cannot pick and choose the things that you like about God or don't like. Either he created everything or he didn't. If he didn't, ignore him. Who cares? But if he did, we owe him everything. And if your God can't confront you, tell you you're wrong, if your God can't make demands of you from time to time or make you mad occasionally, demand whatever he wants from you, like you have a starting point, but it's, it's not him. But if you, if you want a God this big, this powerful, the creator and sustainer of the universe, which I think we do, we don't want the small Elohim. We want this one, right? We want the God who can do it, who's done everything. Like if that's what you want, he cannot just be your Santa Claus. He has to be your authority in all things, at all times. But... It's also, it's not a cold universe that he made. And this is, this is the last thing, because this is, this is really unique, particularly as you compare all the ancient Near Eastern stories of creation. There's lots of them. This isn't a, we just submit to the gods and get over it story, whether we like it or not. That's not what's happening here. And maybe, maybe this feels like a leap from verse one, but I'm convinced it's here, because third, third thing is we live in a world in which love is a reality. Okay, that word doesn't appear in the text, I know. Um, 
but it's implicit in what's happening in these verses, that we live in a world where love is a reality. Because all the other creation stories in the ancient Near East, I mean, there's lots of them, right? You can, you can read them. There's pieces of, of different ones. Maybe you had to in your Western Civ class, right, or whatever. Um, but like for the others, like their gods create out of chaos and war. Or, or they, they uh, create out of a, of a situation of need. They're like, oh man, this planet is like way more work than we thought it'd be. And let's make some humans to do some of the work for us. Like, the, like those are, that's the gist of those stories. Not this one. Not this God. As the true God who made everything out of nothing, our God needs nothing. And he doesn't make us out of lack or out of chaos or anger because he doesn't need us. Instead, he makes us anyway out of delight, out of love, simply because he wants to and he wants us. And Genesis, this is what's so beautiful, people. Genesis doesn't just tell us how we exist. It tells us why and more importantly, for whom. And it's for him. And if that's true, that, that changes everything. And if, and if, you, don't, if you don't believe me, let, me, let me read a similar verse from the New Testament about the beginning of creation. Listen to how John starts his gospel. Same words, he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. And John tells us that he gives us the right to become children of God. Because in the beginning, Jesus and we're going we're to see as we continue in Genesis, this love lived out, that as God creates humanity, he, he makes us in his own image with dignity and joy and purpose. He, he gives us a garden to flourish in, and, and, and even after we rebel against him, he continues to pursue us, even to the point where he speaks himself into his own story. I mean, think about what John is saying, that the God who created with a word becomes one of those words, enters this story, this world that he made to restore us to life and wholeness, who, who one day plans to return, right, and make his home here with us. From beginning to end, we live in a love-infused universe. So what's your starting point? You have one. I have one. The reality is we prove every day what that starting point is in our Monday lives, don't we? The choices we make, the people we care about, the attitudes we take with us. And the reality is if that starting point is here, there's meaning, significance, like no other. It explains our hauntings. You're haunted. I'm haunted. This, this explains why, why we have those longings, why, why things strike us so, so deeply, why we can cry at beauty or with, when we're with our kids or, or whatever experience of love that, like, we're haunted. This tells us why. 
And if it's here, it means that there is a God big enough to demand our allegiance, which even though we don't necessarily love that, at the same time, it's exactly the God we'd want, right? We don't, we don't want a God who's weak. We want a God who's worthy of everything in our lives, don't we? And if it's, if it's here, we encounter a God who creates us out of love, who pursues us out of love, who dies for us out of love, who conquers death and promises to return here with us out of love. Everything begins with God. And that changes everything. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this foundation be the one in which we build our lives. That all that we are, all that we have, all that we do, every encounter we have, every relationship, God, that it would all be subject to these incredible words that in the beginning, you made us, you made all that there is, and that we can find our flourishing, our hope, our joy, and our love in you. Do that work in us, we pray. Amen.